Hey, Guru Nation, we got a special, really special guest today. We have Dr. Gonzalez all the way from Miami, Florida, from Pediatric Skin Research. She's a like one of like a, maybe a dozen people in the whole world that actually can do pediatric derm study. This is like not very common, but she also does adults as well. So um, Monica, her and I were talking in the morning about all the derm studies that are out there. Like there's like an explosion of derm studies. Um, and Dr. Gonzalez was saying pediatrics is soon to follow because she's seeing like an increase, right? You're seeing an increase in derm um, cases uh, amongst pediatric. I mean, I think that as, as you mentioned, there is a lot of research and clinical investigation going on in the field of dermatology. And then naturally those companies are going to want to seek the pediatric indication. So after the adults are, after the studies have been completed in the adult population with the disease, they're going to move into the pediatric space. And that's kind of what we've seen with, for example, you know, one of the big ones recently, Dupixin, Regeneron, Sanofi's uh, product, uh, Dupixin, that's really changed the lives of many people with moderate to severe atopic dermatitis. And so they did their initial clinical trials in the adult patients back in 2017. And then just recently this year got the FDA approval in 2022 for down to six months of age wow. after the, wow. the clinical trials in pediatrics. And so that's what we're going to be seeing. And following Dupixent, there's going to be many other biologics that are going to be, you know, highly effective targeted molecules for the treatment of moderate to severe atopic dermatitis. And because we know atopic dermatitis is a disease that's so prevalent in the pediatric population, right? To, 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 to make the diagnosis, it's early age of onset is one of the criteria. That means what we know is 90% of people with atopic dermatitis will present before five years of age. So it's a, it's a pri primarily pediatric disease. And so these medications are coming out, they're highly effective, they're a new mechanism of action, they're being first studied in the adults, and then eventually, you're going to need lots of kids in the clinical trials to get the medication approved. So it's a really exciting time in pediatric dermatology, not only for atopic dermatitis, but there's a number of different diseases that are kind of going to follow that same path. This is not sponsored by Dupixent, by the way, guys. Uh, sponsored by Viva. But uh, Dr. Gonzalez and I were talking earlier this morning about networking, you know, the importance of networking. Because I think now, and one of the reasons Monica is on this show, she's also a site owner, Dr. Gonzalez. Um, she started out as my CRC and then my site director. And then now she's a site owner of her own. And a Latino awesome. clinical research co-founder, CRC Academy co-founder and story. She does everything, but like <laughs> the, the importance, we, we're going to segue to site owner issues because we have three site owners on here. And I was talking earlier, uh, Monica, because one of my PIs is a derm and we were talking about, you know, sharing study opportunities with each other. And it's something that sites don't really do because everyone feels like, they're competitive, like they don't want to share, but there's so many trials going on right now. Like, I think it's foolish not to network. And we have Dr. Gonzalez as a client of ours, right, for DSCS, but I'm also a client of my own company. Like, sometimes studies fall through the cracks that I miss. And so it's good to network with other side owners, say, hey, what do you have going on right now? Oh, how'd you get that one? I must have missed it. Are they still seeking new sites? 
oh, awesome. Thanks. <laughs> you know, this is how you get studies. So I just wanted your guys' take on like the growing pains of, you know, relatively new clinics and um, biz dev and how to manage workflow with technology and all that kind of stuff. So I wanted to have like a conversation around that. That I'm actually also the SDS client, <laughs> and we oh, share. Oh, you are! The, I didn't uh, even know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, became a client. Wow. And 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 on top of that, we also share. Uh, we have like a. I mean, it's like an email and then a WhatsApp group where we share to study leads with other uh, sites. Mm -hmm. What are some of the challenges, Doctor Gonzalez, you were having about? managing your growing site so you know i i um i like the the topic because i think networking is super important and i i, I am of the thought that there's plenty to go around and for me as a growing site i think the most important thing is to really choose my studies well so that i know that i am going to perform well in that study i know i'm going to recruit the number of patients that i'm supposed to recruit and so I, I really want to be a little bit picky with the ones that I take on um, and really make sure that I'm going to have the patient population. And so if I get if I get asked to do something that I don't have that specific population or might be challenging to, I'm happy to connect them with a local nearby site or somebody else. And I happen to, you know, by, by networking and getting to know all the other researchers in the area, I can say, oh, I know this is a great one fit for this one site. And I'm happy to refer them because then in the future, if they get like, you know, if the opposite happens, they get a study that they are not a good fit for, they'll send it over to me. And oh, so I really, yeah, I try to awesome. focus that's on studies yeah, that have a pediatric indication as well as, as part of their, um, their enrollment needs. Like I'll, I'll take ones that have adults but they also have to have at least 12 adolescent need a need for adolescent patients as well so what are your guys well, thoughts oh go ahead monica sorry yes i was gonna say dr gonzalez thank you first of all thank you very much for what you're doing nor not there, there are not many doctors doing pediatrics and not just that but doing, doing it so passionately i can see i mean <laughs> um i i wanted to ask how I mean, this is especially for other doctors that might want to join the industry or don't want to join the industry, but are scared a little bit to refer the, the patients to research. So um, many of them have the wrong idea that when they send the patients to research, then they are going to lose this patient. And that's not the case. So I would like you to talk a little bit about that. Are you saying, do you think some, some physicians are concerned that if they go to research, they may not come back as a patient for, for, for them, that them? they might yeah. lose the patient with the PI? Okay, right. So, yeah. So, you know, I try to, you know, communicate that research is a completely separate thing from your clinical care. Um, and you could, you need both concurrently, right? So if you choose to participate in a clinical trial, that's not exclusive of also seeing your physician. It's just, you would have to stick to the treatment for the one disease within the clinical trial and stick to the kind of guidelines of that trial, but you could continue to have the relationship with that other physician. Um, you know, I think that sometimes I, what I see the hesitation sometimes is that, um, especially in the pediatric realm, they, 
both physicians and parents may see it as uh, highly experimental. And that's why there, there hasn't been, oh, I don't want my, my son or daughter to be a guinea pig. Those are some of the things that, that um, not here. And of course, the safety is huge, right? What's the known safety of the medication that's being tested? That's, that's a lot of times the hesitations that I run into. But I, funny enough, I don't run into a patient's, I mean, para, doctors not wanting to refer because of um, fear of losing the, the patient. Um, I wonder if it's because of the specialty that I'm in, right? And it's like not a lot of, uh, there are not a lot of us in the area. So I, I don't compete, my services directly don't compete with somebody nearby, if that makes sense. Yeah. Mm. I think there are some fears amongst some doctors, um, but yeah, I think it's very specialty dependent and region dependent. Like there's some places like where I'm at it underserved, like the doctors prefer to have less patients, honestly. So <laughs> they're not like, I don't get that issue uh, here um, as far as recruiting from other clinics. Um, but I know in like some more competitive places like LA, for example, Monica, your site is in yeah. LA. Like mm -hmm. I know that's could be a concern there as well. It is competitive, but at the same time, it's not because the area that we specialize in, in, in CNS is not very common. Also, not, not many uh, psychiatrists are doing uh, clinical trials in the LA area. I wanted, I wanted to talk a little bit about like a range of topics. One of them, I was going to do a LinkedIn post because there's this thing about site feasibility that CROs, primarily CROs, um, but also sponsors, like they think that for some reason sites, when they answer feasibilities, they think that sites are trying to make themselves look good. And I think there's a lot of truth to that. But I, I think what happens more often than not is these sites just don't know because it's one thing to say, okay, how many like type two diabetics do you have? Or let's use atopic derm, you know, how many atopic dermatitis patients do you have in your database? And then you're supposed to put a number and then they add, like they filter it down. Well, how many that are biologic naive? And then there's another number. And then how many that have these conditions? So there's another number, but so you can put like as accurate as you can get with those numbers. The problem is those numbers don't mean that's who's going to enroll in the study. So then when we put these numbers on these surveys, but then we don't enroll those numbers, sponsors think, oh, well, you're just putting like your best foot forward. No, like at the end of the day, we're guessing because at the end of all those questions on feasibility, then they ask, from those patients, how many do you think would enroll in this study? So now all that work you just did comes down to now you're just guessing. Because how do you know? I have I have a site. There's nine providers working in that site. Each of those nine has a different opinion of what's best for their patients. Some believe in insulin, like for diabetics. Others believe in, in the new stuff, GLP-1s. Others believe in other things. So it does boil down to opinion of the provider. And then let's not forget the patient 
has the ultimate decision of if they're going to do this study or not. So a lot of these sponsors blame sites for putting, inflating our feasibility numbers when in fact, I mean, I'm not saying that doesn't happen, but a lot, I think the bigger issue is like we're ignoring the fact that this is voluntary and human beings are ultimately deciding their outcomes for their health, not necessarily the site owners. And I wanted to get your guys' thoughts on that. 100% complete. Agreed. <laughs> it's, it's sometimes so difficult with that because obviously, like Dan was saying, you have in mind the number of patients that could potentially qualify, but that doesn't mean that all of these patients are going to get into the study. For many reasons, obviously, their decision-making. And then on top of that, uh, sometimes you have certain information from the patients in the medical records uh, for that doctor that referred them or for the principal investigator, but then they also have other doctors and maybe other underlying conditions that you didn't know initially. Or or they start taking a new medication that you didn't know at the, uh, uh, that was prescribed from another doctor. So that many factors affect that. Many. It's so many. And we can't just blame the site owner or the coordinator filling out this feasibility form. Like I have a diabetes study. We have nine providers we count on to refer. And I just talked to one of my providers yesterday and she's like, no, you won't get any referrals from me because I don't think that's a good treatment option, to be honest with you. And then another provider in the office says, yeah, you're, you're going to get all my referrals because I love that treatment option. But when I'm filling out this survey, I'm just putting numbers and what I think. I had no clue this person's going to say no because they don't feel right about this treatment. And so the sponsor is going to blame me for embellishing my scores. I'm not embellishing scores. I'm just guessing. At the end of the day, you are guessing. Totally. What do you, what do you think, <laughs> Dr. Gonzalez? Do you run yeah. across this? Yes. I mean, I think it's... um a lot of factors, right? You're, you're right. There's that human element, you know, when they kind of get down to the nitty gritty of the number of visits required, the number of blood draws, especially that's a big deterrent in my, um, in my field, right? The number of blood draws or injections if the medicine's given by injection. So when parents really read the details, a lot of times, even though I think that it's a good medication and I think that I'm going to be able to recruit X number, um, when it comes down to it, sometimes those conversations are a little bit more difficult and I don't get to that number. Um, I, I agree, those feasibility questionnaires, it's always very challenging to predict exactly um, how many you can enroll. Um, and I find that it's variable in terms of, in the end, when it comes down to the contract, how many they, they put in there. If they really keep that as like, you know, you're a solid word that you have to meet that that goal, or sometimes it's it's a kind of more of a range. Okay, now, yeah, I just needed to get that off my chest. I'll probably put a LinkedIn post later because I see a lot of sponsors and CROs complaining about sites embellishing. And yeah, okay, there's probably a lot of that, but a lot also a lot of this kind of like real world stuff happening that we have no control over. Um, what about tracking? the growth of your business using tech. I know Dr. Gonzalez, you and I were talking about this earlier. You're, you're at the stage of your clinic or of the research where you're growing and these are good problems to have, but you're, you're struggling to find solutions for certain things. Like what are some of the main things that 
you probably would like better control over. Like a, so we were talking earlier about a CPMS system, so clinical trial management system where I can track when visits are due for the different studies. And ideally that would be one that would link, you know, possibly to an e-store. So that's something that I'm looking into because right now we don't have one. Um, the other thing was a regulatory uh, repository, like you mentioned, you know, Viva being uh, free of charge and, and very easy to use and very sponsor uh, friendly as well. So that's something that we're going to look into for sure. Yeah. What about you, Monica? For you, you have a kind of a new site also. Yeah, we are currently using uh, two companies. <laughs> we're using Eclean Pro and we're using VivaVolt. Uh, what what issues have you guys gotten into? My biggest issue has been training staff, finding staff, and then training staff to run the studies. Um, that seems to be like my rate determining step because just last week I turned down a study I would have loved to say yes to because my two coordinators are still little new and they basically told me no <laughs> like what, what are you doing don't we can't do another study right now so like that seems to be a rate determining step for me to like keep me from growing as fast as I want to part of it's the labor shortage other part is just like it's hard to train these people like what about you guys yeah I mean I think it's this is it's very similar but uh with with your two coordinators went on the CRC Academy, and I believe yes. Dr. Dr. Gonzalez coordinator went to the CRC Academy too, right? Yes, yes. <laughs> yes she did. Yeah, so so I think that's helpful, but obviously the part of the the when they are in the clinic at the beginning, they still need to be um observed and 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 gain more experience until um they feel more comfortable with that. Um I think it's it's also a matter of of letting the people know about this industry, because uh, uh, there are probably out there many people that could be capable. Obviously, like for example, MAs or, or I mean, even even just recent graduate students that are still uh, that are still thinking in which direction they want to take their careers. And and uh, but but they don't know about this industry. They don't know about the clinics looking for um for for coordinators, and some of and and some of the people that already know are scared to go and look to the sites, which I think is a shame. I mean, is is they're missing the opportunity, right? Of of going to knock the door and 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 uh, introduce themselves and, and uh, ask for the opportunity because the majority of sites don't post uh, these job opportunities, right? We just network and look for somebody uh, out there. Are there a lot of good sites for posting? For, for specifically, I haven't really found many when, I, when I, I'm looking for coordinators, I'm looking for places to post that are specific to clinical research? Do you post them in a specific place or no, just kind of the general? No, it's just that the sites don't post because obviously it's, it's not, it's oh, not yeah. a big organization. Local sites, okay, so, right. So a lot of people, so all these people miss that opportunity because they don't know about the sites and the right. people that are looking for the opportunities or already have, like for example, the students that finish training, sometimes they are shy to go to the sites 
and ask for that opportunity and they don't know how much they are missing because I think like yeah. Dan always says the smallest the new big learning in the site level is probably for me the best way to to join the industry and and it's where you're going to to wear many different hats uh like like in the small side like being the coordinator doing the the regulatory interacting with everybody with the physician with the CRA with the CRO with the um sponsor with the patients um and obviously doing it all <laughs> right being that too generalist well, and, for, and mm-hmm. my first coordinator I got I knew her she's like family now she's officially family because she married my nephew but she was my nephew's fiance and my wife told me she's a cna i had no idea she was a cna so i was looking for people awesome and she was right there so i was like okay at least i could trust her and she is smart so she had like those two things going like are they smart i always look for like raw potential like are they smart and are they trustworthy and she had both of those so it was a no-brainer put her in the crc academy She's doing great. The second one is a stranger to me, but I posted on Indeed and I kind of forgot about it because then we hired Desiree. I even forgot I posted it. So it was months later, this random person, brand new college graduate from University of Kansas emailed me and said, hey, I'm moving to Yuma and this job's perfect for me. Like I love research. I actually wanted to do it in college, but I was studying for physical therapy but it's like amazing that it's like opportunity where I'm about to move because I wouldn't expect it there. And I forgot I posted on Indeed. I was like, I don't need another person. But I brought her in to interview and we ended up hiring her as well because you can't find people like that all the time, especially in a place like Yuma. So it is hit or miss. Um, this guy, Brad, I don't know if you're struggling with finding talent, Dr. Gonzalez, but there are a few other strategies I think could work, but. Where are you at as far as like hiring and staffing? It's always, it's the big, like, like you mentioned, it's the most challenging part of, of you know, owning a site. Um, and I think that's true in across all the industries, not just in clinical research, right? Like keeping, finding quality staff and keeping them. For me, the approach I've taken has been kind of those uh, students that are pre-med or pre-PA school. I find that they're extremely motivated. They, they see clinical research as an opportunity to build their CV for for further, you know, getting into medical school and residency and so on. But the problem with that is, and, and I, I, it, it's been very successful. The problem is that they're one to three years maximum. So there's a, a lot of turnaround that happens. And so, and also you get some people that say, oh, I love clinical research, not really knowing exactly what clinical research is. And then when they get into it and realize that it's a lot of very detail oriented type work and it might not be what they envisioned, but I've, I've been pretty um, lucky, I have to say, and, and the students that have come through, they've been excellent for the most part and, and have really, you know, taken on a lot and learned a lot in a short amount of time. I'm looking right now, though, to hire a PA, a dermatology PA that can not only work as a CRC, but also possibly a sub-I for me in a lot of the studies. So that I can, you know, not worry if I have to take some extended time off or, you know, that she can cover as the PI of the visits because it is pretty tough to be the only PI yeah, on the no, study sometimes because uh... then I do have to be present at every, at every clinical visit. But, um, but yeah, it's, it's challenging. I use Indeed a lot too. I, 
but sometimes going through the the resumes and indeed it's tough too you have to filter through and how do you it takes a lot of time to really filter through the resumes yeah and, and choose i think filtering the res yeah that's tough and then you have what i've noticed is um international medical graduates are really good as well for um potential coordinators but in your case you're looking for a pa so somebody that could be a sub i as well which is actually really smart my dermatologist does the same thing he had a he has an np here um that is a derm np that he trained her basically how to be a derm np and so she has backed him up when he's gone on vacation or when he was out for a week because he got covid we didn't miss a beat like we still had our patient visits and she was doing she was doing all the assessments all the um EC scores and all that stuff that derms do. Um, so yeah, that's um, PA. If you're watching and you're a PA in Miami, reach out. And by the way, Dr. Gonzalez LinkedIn's underneath. Monica's LinkedIn is underneath as well. Um, I guess one of the other questions I wanted to ask is how are you, like, why are you doing research, Dr. Gonzalez? For me, my, my interest really started kind of at the bedside with patients and wanting to get them the treatments that they needed before it was available on the market, right? So I knew of these treatments that were available for severe skin disease. And I'm like, how can I get my patient that medication as soon as possible before it's out on the market? Um, so that's really kind of how I got into it and, and what kind of keeps me going, the ability to bring them, bring like match severe patients with the, with the medicine that's out there, but not currently available. So I started with a medication for severe atopic dermatitis. And then I started with um, a research center that happened to be just upstairs from my clinical practice. And I asked them if I, I went up, I went to the company, I approached them. I said, I want to be a PI on this study. I have patients in need. And then I approached the research center that happened to be right upstairs from my clinical practice. And I asked them, if I were to get this study and they would accept me as a PI on the study, can you be the infrastructure part of it? And they said, yes, absolutely. And I worked there for about a year and a half to the point where the, the site director there said, you know, we're mostly adults. We're mostly a cosmetic dermatology research place. Um, you should open your own pediatric specific site. And then he actually helped me transition into my own uh, site. And, um, and then I, you know, I continued an atopic wow. dermatitis, but now kind of continuing on it epidermolysis bullosa, which is a rare genetic skin disease. And uh, now I'm going to be doing some uh, alopecia areata clinical trials that I'm really excited about. Can you imagine Monica being, because Monica and I, well, we still do, and we're going to get into growing your site now, but can you imagine just being a site and then your neighbor is a doctor that wants to do research with you? Like we, we're supposed to go find people like you. You found them instead. <laughs> like what a concept. So lucky. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously, we had to fight really hard uh, to find specialists. Speaking of which, so uh, Dr. Gonzalez, you're doing derm, very niche, especially pediatric derm, but you also do adult. Monica, you're doing psych. Do you guys have plans to expand to other areas or are you happy just growing within your niche? I, okay. I'm sorry. Go, go ahead. Go ahead. I was going to say, um, I would love to work in UMA too. I, if I could fly out there, get to know. Come on down. You know, <laughs> I can introduce you to my derm and you can see the yeah. underserved. Uh, I don't think there's any pediatric derms in town. Yeah, I'm actually. sure. I'm sure. 
Wow. So, no, so um, expanding, I, I think that I would like to continue to um, be pediatric focused. And so any new study that I bring on, I want to um, make sure that that study has as part of its enrollment criteria, the pediatric age group. So that's really our expertise in the, you know, the, what we offer is the ability to really do those blood draws and really treat pediatric patients. Um, so, and I, I want to stick with, with dermatology as well. So I don't have, sense. I mean, maybe to adults, I want to expand to other disease states though, acne, rosacea, skin infections, other genetic skin diseases. You know, there's lots to do and study in pediatric dermatology. Okay. That's good. When we do need more of that too. What about you, Monica? I already kind of know the answer, but I want to hear it from endocrinology. you. Endocrinology is our next. Really? Wow. Okay. Do yeah. you have somebody? Do you have somebody <laughs> yes. in mind who has PI? Yeah. Yes. It's actually my PI's wife. <laughs> well, there you go. That wasn't yes. too hard to find. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. It's we're just waiting uh, and, and, and see what happens. Good for you. You know how like ex expansion, like with me, I found my internal medicine doctor here, who's my PI's family practice, sees everything that we got. The first study we got was a derm study. And I said, hey, the sponsor's allowing you to be the PI, but we need a derm sub-I. Do you know anyone? And he said, yeah, my colleague, Dr. Harris, who's across the street. So I want Dr. Harris, hey, do you want to be a sub-I? Sure, but how do I be a PI too? So it's like, okay, well, you can be a PI also. So then I got studies for him. You know what I found? We had a psoriasis study where we've had a bunch of screen failures, but because of the demos in Yuma, they were mostly elderly. Months later, we got an osteoarthritis study for my other PI. And in the beginning of the trial, we couldn't find patients. I've no, I just thought like, I was looking at Creo, which is our e-source. I was like, hmm. These screen fails for psoriasis, they're all like 65 and up. I think like a good amount of people 65 and up have osteoarthritis. Let's screen them. You know, half of them. So two out of those four actually qualified for my arthritis study of the knee. Like they passed the x-ray. The central reader said, yes, they do have enough OA to qualify. So that's when I was like, wow, there really is a magic in like, expanding like even from your own database i thought it was like really cool doctor arthritis uh, is very common i think that's the, yes uh, florida is very similar me. florida is very similar to arizona actually the demos and all that yeah um oh gosh okay so sticking to uh durham but focusing on the niche focusing on pediatric adults and geriatric um, and then Monica's going to be expanding from psych to endocrinology. That's awesome, actually. What about diversity? Like, Monica is a uh, Latinos in clinical research co-founder. She's uh, Colombian. Uh, Dr. Gonzalez, we were talking earlier about the fact that you're Latina, female, PI, like, Pediatrics. <laughs> that she does has pediatric therapy. Like you're probably like I don't know <laughs> a handful a of you in the world. <laughs> Not too many. Yeah. <laughs> what do you think about diversity? Like the importance of getting more patients from Latino backgrounds in in research. Yeah, 
I think it's extremely important. I mean, as you know, our, our country is going to be majority minority by 2060, right? That's the prediction. So we're heading in that way. And so, and we have, a, especially in dermatology, and that's the literature I'm familiar with, but we have such a long way to go. When you look at the patients in the clinical trials, it's minority, minority, right? It's majority is Caucasians in, in these um, large clinical trials. So it is probably the most important think that these uh, sponsors really have to focus on. It has to start at the sponsor level, really. But it, I mean, I think in the end, they need our input as well because we're the ones on the ground. But, um, you know, it really has to be the industry and a sponsor thing where they make a requirement um, to have uh, the representation that's necessary, right? Because you know, it's, it's such a, so important in the way medicine is moving in general as well to be more personalized and kind of the, the increased use of genetics in, in diagnosis and in disease and treatments eventually, you know, it's, it's very important to have a representation. How, how, um, how's your Spanish, Dr. Gonzalez? Excelente. Um, <laughs> yo soy um, Cubana-Americana. Mis padres son cubanos. Nacieron en Cuba, vinieron de, de jóvenes. Yo nací aquí en Miami. Monica, can you it's ask 100 a question? 100% bilingual. <laughs> Monica, whatever no question you were going to ask. No accent in Spanish. <laughs> not at all. Whatever question you were going to ask, can you ask her in Spanish as we wrap up? Of course. <laughs> so I was actually going to piggyback on what she says about the diversity. La importancia de no solo, o sea, que los sponsors eh, obviamente pongan los ojos en los sites que tienen a uh, estos pacientes y también los sites en contratar personal que refleje esa esa esa, esa eh, comunidad, ¿verdad? Entonces, eh, yo creo que eso es bien importante porque obviamente si los sites, para que los sites puedan um, eh, hacer recruitment de estos pacientes, tienen que tener el personal que refleje esa comunidad. ¿Qué piensa usted de eso, doctora? Absolutamente estoy de acuerdo 100%. Sí, los la, la pacientes se sienten más cómodos con personas que son iguales a ellos, que hablen la misma, el mismo lenguaje de la misma comunidad. So, es súper importante para los sponsors mirar en las comunidades y en el, el personal del centro. Es súper importante. Por eso también tú con tu organización es, es muy bien kudos a, a ti porque... <risa> Tenemos que tener más personas latinas en, en, en clinical research para, para ayudar a, a que más pacientes um, eh, sean parte de los estudios clínicos. Y que los sponsors le den apoyo a estos sites, porque muchas veces estos sites también están localizados en áreas donde necesitan mucho apoyo. Eh, entonces es importante que, 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 que los ayuden, que estén más disponibles y que tengan más opciones para estos sites y obviamente la publicidad y todo el material en el idioma necesario, que en este caso estamos hablando del español. Sí, claro, eh, que no se demore también. Yo encuentro eso a veces que los sponsors, cuando yo pido a como un importancer en español, a veces se demora tres, cuatro semanas. Eso es algo que ya los sponsors tienen que tener desde un principio. Ya tenerlo traducido todo, tener para... O sea, de pensarlo de antemano, no como segunda cosa que lo, el pensamiento segundo, ¿se entiende? Tiene, tiene que ser sí. lo, a priority. Priority, sí. Definitely. 
needs a priority. <laughs> this was great. The first time uh, we got to have you, Dr. Gonzalez, again on the on the show. We got to do some Latinos in clinical research stuff. Yes. Uh, there'll be the first of many uh, interviews. Everybody, go connect with Dr. Gonzalez and with Monica. Their LinkedIn profiles are underneath. Um, anything you'd like to either one of you um, say? Awesome. Okay. Is your is your audience uh, bilingual? Do you think that that was? Well, they're gonna have to be. They're gonna have point. to be. <laughs> they want a little less. By twenty sixty. <laughs> so it's been a pleasure to speak with both of you, and I, mucho gusto, Monica. It's been awesome to to meet you, and I look forward to connecting in in the future. Thank you to um, you, Dan and Chris, for all you guys do in terms of educating and having this. Um, this place where, you know, if we do have new staff, we can refer them to get extra training. That's very, very helpful. It's, you know, a, 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 an excellent um, resource that we utilize frequently. Thank you, Dr. Thank Gonzalez. You. Monica, <laughs> anything else you'd like to add? No, if you're outside and you're looking to train your staff, come to us. <laughs> We're here to help. <laughs> Thank you, guys. Thank you, both of you guys. Looking forward to having you on again. Like, subscribe, comment, share. Catch you all later. Bye-bye.